So now we are moving on to Dhamma Vichaya, investigation of Dhamma, the second factor of the seven factors of awakening. And this is basically no other than the faculty of wise attention. These seven factors link in with another group of teachings, which are called the five faculties. And the five faculties are something that needs to be balanced. And the seven factors are also of that nature. They require balance. Some of them are towards the concentration side, the focus stillness side, and some of them are for the more active and energetic side. You see this in the five faculties as well. And what we have in the, the fifth of the five faculties is wisdom. And it is reflected in the seven factors as Dhamma Vichaya, or inquiry into Dhamma. And it particularly involves the critical element of enlightenment, and that is yoniso manasikara. And I will translate every Pali word I use. Yoniso is going to the source, and manasikara are mind doings, literally the activities of the mind that go to the source, that inquire to the roots of things, to the birth of things. The Buddha talks about two things that are necessary, two elements that are necessary for enlightenment. One is internal, the other is external. The internal one is the capacity for wise reflection, yoniso manasikara. The external agency is a kalyana mitta, a wise friend. And these are the two primary elements that are required if you want to attain enlightenment. You need a teacher, and then you need to be a person who has some faculty of wisdom. So it's using this faculty, this wise attention, this yoniso manasikara, is what is meant by inquiry into the Dhamma, the second factor of the seven factors of enlightenment. So one investigates. I want to also say that this investigation uh, requires energy and in fact is something that can be used if you're feeling lethargic, sleepy, if you're trying to focus in concentration and you find your energies are diminished. One way of raising energy is to give up, say, simply the focus on the breath or something like a, a casino meditation, a focus on a single object, and go to more discursive activities, which are this Dhamma Vichaya. So this is quite refreshing. It's not available to everybody. Everybody isn't an investigator, a Dhamma detective, and uh, that is a critical thing. If you are not that way, you can develop it. And depending on how you were raised and the culture around you, not everybody is, has been trained in critical thinking and inquiry, but you can pick it up 
it may not have been encouraged, but you can actually develop this faculty. And one should, and if one can find it delightful as well. One of the factors later on that we'll talk about is joy. And the joy can arise because of this inquiry into Dhamma, this Dhamma Vichaya, by contemplating this inquiring, asking questions primarily. The cause of the rising of wisdom is that one asks questions. By the way, this is like a karmic result. Why do some people have the wisdom faculty? Why do they have that? The cause of the wisdom faculty, the wisdom faculty a resultant, is the fruit of asking questions. So, of course, one can go and ask questions. Dhamma-vichaya can not only be your self-inquiry, an exploration of what goes on within you and sorting it out for yourself, but also can be a, an inquiry directed to other people. You can go and get edification from teachers and fellow practitioners and from, of course, the texts, the Pali texts, even other sources that are outside of, of a particular Dhamma school. All kinds of people in uh, human history have had some good thoughts. And uh, we are not the only ones that appreciate inquiry, and we're not the only ones that appreciate energy and joy, and we're not the only ones that speak of a spiritual world or um, more or less transcending the preoccupation with the with the sensory world. So sometimes you get good advice from, from a variety of sources. And so the Dhamma Vichaya, the investigation of Dhamma, is not limited. There's a, a simile actually about the nature of wisdom is that it doesn't skip over things, it inquires. As a monk going on alms round doesn't skip any of the houses, they go to each of the house uh, the monks on alms round, by the way, is how, this is how you get your uh, food. Your one meal of the day is provided by your alms round. You go to house after house without skipping any. So this Dhamma investigation is close scrutiny, deep inquiry into the nature of Dhamma. And as I talked about before, a lot of the teachings of the Buddha are what's called recursive structures. They loop around on themselves. So one of the areas of investigation is the seven factors of awakening. So just listening to these talks on the seven factors of awakening, and we take each one of the factors and we examine them, and then we put them together and we see how they interrelate with each other, and so that very act of inquiring into the, the interplay of the factors, of the seven factors, is also dhamma-vichaya, dhamma-vichaya being one of them. So this is a feature of the, of the teachings of the Buddha that they loop around on each other. And many of these factors are quite frequently repeated as well in different settings. So already in this talk, I've talked about five faculties where wisdom is one of the faculties, energy, concentration, mindfulness is one of the faculties, and faith is one of the faculties. When you look at the seven factors of awakening, you don't see the faculty of faith 
involved in it. However, it shouldn't be just dismissed. This is primarily authenticating one's trust. So it's a good thing to, to be able to trust for a penny, put your doubts aside in uh, the beginning of these, these inquiries. Some trust and suspension of skepticism is helpful, and you can set aside your highly skeptical mind because it can be an impediment so that you undertake a process of meditation and inquiry and the cultivation of these faculties. And when you do this, then you start to have direct experience and direct knowledge. So this is what's important. So all of these things can be brought into this Dhamma Vichaya. The other area of Dhamma Vichaya is, of course, that it's, you know, what, what is the preceding factor of enlightenment that we talked about in the previous talk, mindfulness. And mindfulness can't really be separated from Dhamma Vichaya. The instructions in mindfulness are to inquire into these four foundations of mindfulness. So the body, feelings, the mind itself, and then Dhamma arrangements, Dhamma categories, almost like little bouquets of Dhamma teachings, little frameworks or drop-down menus of structures. And of course, the seven factors of enlightenment are one of the drop-down menus. So you can see this looping recursive structure that happens. The seven factors of enlightenment occur in the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness, and that implies the four foundations of mindfulness, recur in the seven factors of enlightenment. Around and around you go in a hall of mirrors. This is, of course, not to confuse you. It is to edify you, it is to help you clarify things. And you start to see connections. You start to make, uh, you connect the dots and you connect the, the little collections of teachings as well. And you start to see how they interact and how they interplay with each other as well. So mindfulness requires Dhamma Vichaya. Dhamma Vichaya requires mindfulness. So these are not standalone faculties or features of the path. They are continuously woven together and they make a very beautiful rope in the end. The various fibers of the Dhamma produce a rope. All these faculties as well uh, have an effect on other ropes because you already have some ropes and the ropes are what impede you. They're, they bind you. They are what is called fetters. And these ropes are the source of your hindrances, your five hindrances, your defilements, your greed, your hatred and delusion have roots. And these are referred to as ropes as well. And those ropes you want to get free of. Unfortunately, most people can't simply break free of them. But it is by this process of the development of mindfulness, energy, and the seven factors of awakening that you erode these, these five hindrances and the roots of the five hindrances, the fetters from which they arise. The simile for this is that a rope is 
left on the beach. And of course, these in the days of the Buddha, ropes were natural fiber ropes. They're left on the beach from a, from a ship or something like this. And the wind and rain and sun and water from the ocean wash over it. And you come along in a few months and you see this rope and it can be an inch thick. Normally you would think you can't break that rope, but because of the effect of the, this erosion on it, the effect of the elements of sun and wind and water, you can pick it up and it just breaks in your hand with very little effort. What are the sun, the wind, and the water? Seven factors of enlightenment. This is the looking at the roots of our suffering. And we look with these clear eyes and we use various stances and angles. Sometimes we use concentration angles, in other words, samadhi angles. We try to still the mind in order to build its strength. So one of the exercises, you got two types of exercise. One type of exercise is moving the body around, another one is keeping it still. The mind benefits from both these types of exercises. Well, of course, most people's mind, the characteristic of the mind is to simply move all the time and it's, people have very little control over it. So one strengthens this, the mind, by trying to keep it still. The body is strengthened by moving it around, the mind is strengthened by keeping it still. So this is the side which we will explore later, some of the, the sixth factor is samadhi itself. And uh, so that is a practice, but also the mind benefits from the activity of investigation as well. These two things are necessary and balanced. And that is what we call samatha vipassana, serenity and clarity. So the roots of this, what is called vipassana, which means to see clearly. Uh, I want to just uh, introduce little brackets here. Quite often you'll hear about vipassana meditation or vipassana courses and so forth, schools of vipassana meditators, but it really is something of a misuse of the word in some ways to use it that way. It really means a lucid sight to see clearly. It's more or less the result of some activities. But you do need this lucidity in order to help your, your investigation. Your mind needs to be clear, able to sustain attention on a single subject for a period of time. And one of the ways we do this to develop that strength is to take a single static object, such as the breath or something like this, and force our minds to remain on it. And the mind keeps running away. It's like a puppy. It just won't do what it's told. It won't sit. <laughs> it just keeps running around. So you have to train it again and again to do this. And then it's serviceable for the production of this inquiry. Because if you can't sustain attention, then uh, there's no great amount of investigation or conclusions that happen. And this is a common feature in all of our present society. Our present society has a huge emphasis on education and literacy and the facility to manipulate ideas. So university, well, even uh, school all, all the way up to grade 12 is all about the 
ability to systematically use ideas and inquire, investigate what is a reasonable train of thought, how to examine issues and come up with lucid conclusions. And in university, it's taken to the extreme. But all of these require that you can actually sustain attention. Of course, this is where trouble arises. We're in a society that is, uh, by its nature, also tends to cultivate a mind that flits around and stays on nothing. So when you come to being confronted by things at university and various technical demands that are placed upon you in this very highly technical society, some people can't sustain attention. So they can't, they can't fully understand things. And this is uh, an impediment to their, to their livelihoods, to their well-beings. It affects your entire structure of your life. So this is, uh, Buddhism recognizes this and has remedies for this situations. Actually, I wish I'd heard much more about this when I was going to school early in my university. Later on in my university time, I did actually start, I went to formal meditation and it changed my, my attitude to, uh, to all of these things. So the process of steady investigation is not just simply the training of mindfulness, not just the practice of mindfulness or even samadhi, but it's also the, the establishment of ideas. So all of the seven factors has roots in right view. So the beginning of all of this, the harnessing of seven factors, doesn't exclude right view. I think before I did mention that there's a little list in uh, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, and it goes from the five hindrances, which we've talked about here. Five things must go. Five hindrances must go. The five khandhas, or the five aspects of what a human is, that is the body, feelings, perception, consciousness, and volition. And then the six senses, the experience of sight, sound, smells, taste, touches, and ideas. And then on to the seven factors of enlightenment, followed by the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is where we summarize it and include right view. None of this works without right view. You can't detach any of these things, the seven factors of enlightenment or the four foundations of mindfulness, cannot be extracted from right view. If you don't have right view in front of this all, the whole project is is somewhat meaningless. And that is exactly what happens in many of the schools of what I would call say, therapeutic schools, which borrow from uh, Buddhist teachings, such schools as uh, mindfulness, you know, pure mindfulness schools where you're cultivating attention. They can have benefits, but they, they won't have the fruition, the results, if they're not preceded by a view of things. Remember that all of these things are the servants of right view. No sense can be made of this if you exclude that right view. What are you investigating? What is it you're supposed to be investigating? You're investigating for the purpose of solving a problem. If you don't know what problem you're solving, then your investigations are... Maybe it's like a detective that 
is just told to go and investigate. <laughs> uh, what? Fingerprints, footprints, but he has no idea what the crime is. There's got to be a crime, and the crime is suffering. <laughs> so, Four Noble Truths is what Dhammavichaya is serving. It is investigating the crime of suffering, how it arises, what's the problem here, what is its nature, and is it possible to solve this, this crime, this great mm, problem of the suffering nature of existence? This is what you're harnessing the seven factors of enlightenment for. And this is what your Dhammavichaya, your investigation of, of that truth. So this is not a scientific inquiry. Buddhism is really not interested in scientific description of the universe. You will, when you read the suttas and you hear various teachings, there's a background of the world and the idea of how the universe works at the physical level and so forth. These are, these are just descriptions. Some of them are very interesting. Some of them have, seem to be way ahead of their time, and some of them are features of the fifth century. Uh, none of it really matters. That's not what the, the Dhamma is about. And the beginning of the, the Buddha's teaching career is that I teach basically two things. There is suffering. There's an end to it. And... All of, the, all of the other aspects of Dhamma and the descriptions of the world, etc., are only in that context. If they help you solve the problem of suffering, then they've done their work. But you should not take them out of that context. They're not... Buddhism is just not preoccupied with scientific solutions to things. I mean, you, you see so many interesting... Uh, very advanced ideas that psychology has taken up. Even physicists have, uh, have been quite startled and impressed by some of the, the way the, the Buddhist description of the physical universe is. The flowing nature of all things instead of a, a solid objective type of universe or little atomic universe that's inquiring very deeply and watching solid objects dissolve into into flux, into flow. Physiology and uh, medicine also kind of is impressed by some of the insights of the Buddha. All of which, I mean, they're helpful and so forth, but always, always in the context of only two things. The first truth is there is suffering. And the next most important one is there's an end to it. Unfortunately, it doesn't end without some process towards that end, and that's the Eightfold Path. And so all of this is part of Dhamma Vichaya as well. So Dhamma Vichaya asks, what am I supposed to be doing here? Should I be paying attention to Buddhist descriptions of the universe, whether how many beings live in it, what's below this, why volcanoes work, or all of these things? No, that's not the proper use of your investigative uh, capacity. It is keep going back to the primary directive, which is we are on a journey to reducing suffering and ultimately extinguishing suffering altogether so that it cannot recur. This requires a certain view of existence, and this is not a one-life view of things. The Four Noble Truths really don't work if you 
take them out of the context which the Buddha is pointing at. And the, the context is that, that death doesn't end suffering. <laughs> it's not just a one-life thing that the problem persists beyond the, the end of this life and the problem was there before this life as well. So you, you've got a bigger mystery than you thought. You've got a bigger situation than you thought. And your, your dhamma vichaya, your, your investigative capacity, won't, won't be on track to solve this issue unless you understand the, the broader context of the Four Noble Truths. So this is, uh, there will be a lot of resistance to this, especially in uh, the modern sort of skeptical West the materialist or physicalist West will have resistance to this idea. They just want to solve the situation of this life without contemplating larger things. But you will have done yourself a disservice to presume that and have pruned out the larger view of things. So the seven factors of awakening are a teaching, a collection of teachings within the Buddhist path. They function inside the Eightfold Path, and the Eightfold Path is found inside the Four Noble Truths. So when you apply these things, keep that in mind. All of these uh, seven factors of enlightenment, though, can be useful and healing and clarifying for those who are coming to it from a secular, materialist kind of view of life or even from other religious views. You can be from a, any religious view that allows the possibility that your efforts and your inquiries and your development can produce very positive results in your life. If you're coming from a teaching where all your personal efforts are of no avail, then this teaching will will not avail you. <laughs> well, you may not be in, actually interested in it to begin with. And there are such teachings. There are kind of uh, grimly deterministic teachings that your personal will and effort are of no use, that any kind of salvation is comes from outside of you, etc. This this type of teaching will will be of no use to you, but any philosophy or religion where personal effort is involved and there can be a good fruition of personal effort, they, these things will work. But be, be aware, be warned that the seven factors of enlightenment really function properly in the context of the Four Noble Truths and the, the worldview that the Buddha is expounding. So this is a kind of a part of an engine. It's a carburetor in an engine. And it, it would be a shame to use it as a paperweight. It makes a great paperweight. Carburetors make a great paperweight, but they really function in an engine. And there's a whole bunch of other parts so that the whole engine works and drives a machine quite impressively. If you take this thing apart and just use parts of it, you will not get the results intended. So I will continue on with the other factors and you will see that in the full description that they keep interweaving and recurring and 
enriching each other in all kinds of braided ways. So stay tuned for future talks.